0: listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry.
1: You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the industry for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 232. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Hey, Paige. You feeling better? Getting there. Yeah. But the pollening has occurred.
0: Yeah, but at least you're not running a fever and all that other stuff.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I'm just hacking up stuff, so. And speaking of hacking up stuff, you know what? What?
0: <laughs> Robert, how do you pronounce Roberts lastly? L- Latimer? Yeah. Robert said, Mark, keep up the great segue work.
1: Oh, great.
0: So, thank yeah. you, Robert. I'm glad you appreciate my segues. Nobody else seems to appreciate my segues around here. <laughs> That's
1: what he needs, encouragement. <laughs>
0: the other thing is Apple made an announcement actually yesterday, Paige, where they're now going to have a subscriber or creator content behind a bit of a paywall. So I want to kind of ask our listeners, you know, Would you like us to do something very special for oil and gas this week and actually let us put it behind the Apple paywall? What could we do that you'd be interested in hearing about us? Would it be behind the scenes? Would it be more, say, First Friday Q&A? Would it be some of the outtakes that you don't ever get to hear between me and Paige when she's mad at me, she's throwing stuff, you know, what, what would be worth, they're going to have to beep out.
1: There's going to be a lot of beeping in that (laughs) one.
0: So audience, if you'd like to hear something unique and made just for you out there, and you don't mind spending a few dollars, let us know. Cause I want to actually kind of experiment with this. You know, it's the same thing that Spotify does the same way that a lot of the, the market, Netflix, they're, trying to find the right creators, find the really good content, and then monetize it. And we're going to play around with it. So stay tuned. We'll let you know how that works and what that looks like. But for now, it's time to get the news stories. What we got going on, Paige?
1: All right. So the first article is, the oil industry receives an unexpected boost from Biden.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting. And it's, I didn't think this through. You know, so we have a big infrastructure bill trying to be pushed through the houses right now. It's Biden's way to try to spur the economy. It's a bunch of school upgrades, roads being built, rail, airports. But one of the things that I didn't think of is when you do all that type of work, one of the things that you're going to need, Paige, is asphalt. And if you don't know, asphalt comes from crude. Right. Now, here's the funny thing. Asphalt is some of the heaviest parts of, the, of a c- barrel of crude. And so the heavier weight crude you get more asphalt out of, guess where you get the heaviest weight crudes that would make sense for us to make asphalt out of? Here. Canada.
1: Oh, Canada. There you
0: so, go. So so once again, this what our current administration actually may be a bonus to the Canadian oil and gas industry. The other thing is, it's interesting, you know, a lot of companies got out of the asphalt business. Citgo's the asphalt business for years. I think they sold their last bit of that off probably 10 years ago. So I did a little bit of quick research. We don't have enough asphalt generating companies in the U.S. to generate enough asphalt for what the infrastructure project's going to need. Interesting. Yeah. So there's an opportunity, you know, keep your eye on that. It may be that, you know, some of these big oil and gas companies where asphalt was a, a big part of their revenue stream. They saw that dwindle away as more municipalities moved toward concrete. Maybe you might want to go revisit it. It'd be kind of cool if something that was so beneficial and popular in the 60s ends up coming back. The other thing, if you read through this article, is they talk a little bit about how Biden's current administration is trying to, I'm going to say, slow the hurt as they are trying to— Reduce our countries dependent on hydrocarbons. You're going to reduce jobs in the oil and gas industry, right? And so, you know, they've made some big flubs out there where they said, "Well, if you can't work in oil rig, go build solar cells." Well, that's not practical. But they are actually putting some money into some retraining. And I was looking at the this article. And I went back into some fat checking on here. So as this recovery is happening, which we could talk about later in the show, there is literally not going to be enough. People to fill the jobs that we need for the recovery, much less the skilled craft labor that's going to be needed need for this inf- these infrastructure projects that the current administration is proposing. So what's going to happen is if this bill goes through Congress and they get the funding and the infrastructure gets approved, infrastructure projects, you're not going to be able to get enough asphalt. Companies are going to stand up asphalt production facilities here in the U.S. to make money, and we're going to have to import labor from overseas. Not exactly what I thought it was going to be, right? No, not at all. So there's still a bunch of stuff going on. You know, there's still a lot of rhetoric around the whole movement to green energy. But this is interesting. You know, sometimes you have unexpected consequences of actions, and this is some of the unexpected consequences of actions. So we're going to stay on top of this. Number one, we don't have a choice because it's our industry, it's our country. But number two, it's going to be interesting to see if there's things that none of us thought that was going to actually be positive for industry that comes out of this.
1: What's interesting to see is the $16 16 billion to get out of work oil fill laborers back into paid position, plugging and abandoning wells.
0: Yeah, and so that's my question for you. How big a problem is that abandoned wells? Is it a small problem? Is it an enormous problem? It's is it enough. different it, by
1: state by state. It varies state by state, but I mean, I know a group of people that have gotten together to, you know, make solutions for these problems. So let's well, see how
0: that goes. Some of our and families actually touching some of that too. So, Sarah. Big shout-out to Unicorn Sarah. She's working on a nonprofit to help plug abandoned wells here in Texas. We're plugged in with them. We're going to do some volunteer work. We're going right. to shoot some videos and stuff. So, you know, if, if they get some federal money to help speed it up, that's awesome. And I would – actually, if anybody out there has any statistics on what the the true number of abandoned wells are here in Texas and in the U.S., I'd be curious because I'm hoping that this isn't a long-term problem that we have wells, you know, that are all over the place and aren't, that, that are just sitting there open.
1: Well, they usually at least – set a plug so they're ta not pa but i mean i can pull that up on the Robert road commission website for later that'll be a fun thing to do
0: oh yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> a good time to move what's the next one
1: all right noble corp to acquire pacific drilling
0: Makes total sense. We've been talking about mergers and acquisitions for a couple of years now. The double black swan event of 2020 killed offshore drilling and exploration, especially deep water, ultra deep it's water. It's the anniversary of that, huh? It actually is the anniversary of that. It's also the, the BP Macondo anniversary. Yes. Was yes yesterday, right? Yes. Yeah. 11 years ago. So quick moment of silence for the people that lost their lives on Deepwater Discovery. So back to Noble and Pacific Drilling. This is the common story of one company that's in a better financial position picking up their competitor. This is interesting because Noble's bigger. Pacific has more a more modern drill fleet, especially deep water, ultra deep water. So I think it's a great acquisition by Noble. It was an all-stock deal. The interesting thing is they don't need anybody to approve it. Both boards unanimously approve it. Oh, that's awesome. It. They don't need a vote from the shareholders. That works. Yeah, and what this does is this is going to keep jobs. And of course, anytime you have this type of merger, the jobs that are duplicated, unfortunately, like HR and legal stuff, there's there's going to be some losses of jobs there. But overall, to keep both companies' employees working. And as we're headed into this recovery, it's going to really position Noble in a really good place. They're going to have a 24-rig fleet. They're going to have 11 drill ships, a semi-submersible, 12 jackups. And so they're also going to start because now they've eliminated competition in the drilling contractor market or reduce competition i should say it's also start creating a backlog of work not only for them but for their competitors so this is really good for everybody not unexpected you know big shout out to noble drilling they're actually headquartered right here in sugarland and so you know good job people keep on moving and keep everything turning to the right
1: all right so the next one is vanishing frac log shows us shale patch getting back to work
0: almost would have a moment of silence for this this is great news you know we see the light at the end of the tunnel There's a bunch of rumblings around this that I've been paying attention to. People have been hiring back in the Permian for the last, say, month. One of the – actually, I'll give away a secret of mine. One of the indexes that I follow to look at future demand for hydrocarbons is something called the Baltic Dry Index. And you may say, Mark, what is the Baltic Dry Index? No, that's exactly what my next question was. (laughs) So you know sea cans You know those shipping containers? They move stuff all over the world? Right. You rent those. And so the Baltic Dry Index is tracking how many sea cans are on the world's oceans and what the rent rates are going for. And it's one of my secret metrics because if I see the rent rates go up and if I see the number of sea cans go up as well, that's telling me that the world's economy is picking up. And guess what? You need to move those sea cans around.
1: Stuff they get stuck in canals. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good one. Hydrocarbons. Okay. Right? So the, the Bunker Sea fuel for the ships, the diesel for the electro-generated, the electro-generated cranes, all the diesel trucks, all the trains, all that is hydrocarbons. It's fuel consumption. So that's why I use the Baltic Dry Index. The other one I use is, what is the U.S. airline security, TSA? So TSA post metrics. Showing year over year number of flights that went out, and you can go to the TSA website and see that. And what I'm starting to see is more and more flights going out to the business areas of the world, which is what we've been waiting for, right? Right. So we're not back to where we should be. We're headed in the right direction. The light's at the end of the tunnel, and the light page is really, really bright. I got a feeling, and I'm not going to say this. I mean, I'll tell the audience this, but I got it based on the numbers I've been looking at and the crunching we've been doing. The recovery I thought was going to happen in twenty twenty two, I think may happen this year, and it oh, may that's happen awesome. in, as early as July and August. And really? The thing that we have to be really careful of is if I'm right and we hurry up and get back there where the world's economy picks up with a roar, what's going to happen is we're going to have a decrease in supply of hydrocarbons, right? And the danger there is everybody's going to start producing again, OPEC's to start producing, going to start producing, we're going to start producing, and we're going to have an oversupply quick, rather quickly, which would drive prices back down. So if I'm hoping prices only get to seventy-five or eighty dollars a barrel and they stay there. What I don't want it to do is get to hundred dollars a barrel, yeah, right? right? So let's we're going to keep an eye on this. And you know, because of the and go back to this article, I kind of skipped basic article. But Basically, you're talking about ducks about drilled but uncompleted wells, right? And the duck inventory has dropped dramatically. What happened after twenty or during twenty twenty is people quit spending money drilling wells and they started completing wells. But there was a not as big a demand for hydrocarbons, so you had this huge inventory of wells that were drilled but not completed, and that inventory is rapidly disappearing. I mean, it's disappearing fast. So this is great news for our industry. It's going to be interesting to see what the new shale revolution is going to look like because... In the past, up until, say, 2019, it was all about growth and people invested monies in companies that could show growth in shell plays. Now, it's all about making money, right? The investors no longer care about growth. They want to make sure you can make them money, which means the companies that will stand up in this little bit of a boom in in the shell plays are going to have to be financially much more financially stable, which honestly is good for everybody.
1: Awesome. Okay. So this is a little old, but I think this is my favorite article of the year so far. Colorado oil and gas taunts the North Face at mock awards ceremony. I love this. I do too.
0: I don't know if you saw the recent picture where somebody bought the window space from the office building uh, directly across from the North Face's CIO office, and they plaster in the windows all these pro oil and gas things. Like, Thank you for supporting <laughs> our industry. <laughs> so they literally bought the window space. So this is, if you haven't heard, this is a company called North Face. They build a lot of outdoor clothing, you know, if polyurethane jackets and ski clothes and that sort of stuff. And basically the story is who was it? Was it an independent
1: operator? I think so. Forget who it was, but they wanted to buy a bunch of their stuff for their employees for, I think, Christmas.
0: For Christmas. And and they were buying jackets. Jackets, a bunch of North Face jackets. And they wanted their company logo on it. And North Face did what page? Which I still can't believe they did this. <laughs>
1: and they said no. And why do they say no? Because they don't support oil and gas.
0: Yeah. So they don't support oil and gas, and yet. Their, most of their products are made from oil from, and gas. Exactly. 100% of their products, are the logistics are oil and gas. <laughs> most of their products are made from hydrocarbons. I shouldn't say just, you know, but so it was just very hypocritical. And they've caught basically hell in public about this, and they should, you know, super hypocritical. But, but I think this is cool. So they actually, the Colorado Oil and Gas Association actually bestowed its first ever extraordinary <laughs> customer award <laughs> to the North <laughs> face. Saying it'd appreciate the company for its abundant use of oil and gas. They actually had a mock award ceremony. Dan Haley, who we actually know, actually, they made a bit of a roast and they they made fun of North Face, even to the point where they talked about North Face parent company, who we know, built an airport for its private jet fleet. And that private <laughs> jet fleet doesn't run on rubber bands and, and unicorn forts, right? It runs on jet fuel. Oh, this is the best. Yeah. And it's funny how many people we know in here. We got Chris Wright. You know Chris. Yeah, I interviewed him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's giving them a little bit of grief here. He's actually holding a little bit back. But I just, you know, honestly, North Face, if anybody, which I doubt anybody from North Face is listening, you know, that was the wrong way for you to handle that. And what you should have done when they called you on it is you should have stopped apologized and then came back and said, look, we want to make sure we're environmentally responsible. We do use hydrocarbon to manufacture our products, but we're trying to make sure we do it in a responsible way. Instead of saying, no, we're not going to sell you jackets because we don't support the oil and gas industry.
1: Right. Let's come back to that in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Let's
0: give it a month to come back. Let's keep making it a little bit of fun of them. That's, that's fine by me. Actually, um, I don't want to make fun about this next one.
1: No. So search for survivors of capsized lift boat ends. Speaking of moments of silence.
0: Yeah, let's give them a moment of silence for the lost lives. So the first thing about this article is they call it a lift boat. An articles article is published by AP.
1: Well, that explains it. Yeah, it's so it's a jack-up rig. Yeah, right.
0: Basically, you haven't heard the story. This is a jack-up rig that was dispatched out of the coast of Louisiana going to its next drill site. They had some bad weather. The captain, who was very experienced, made a decision to go ahead and go. Evidently, and it's still early to tell, evidently the weather forecast was wrong and the weather was much worse than it was. The jacket rig capsized. They had, I think, 19 people Yeah, there on were 19
1: boarding. people on board. Six were rescued on the first day.
0: And then they've pulled five bodies. Actually, I think this is a little bit old. I think now they have six bodies, which leaves a lot of bodies yet to be found. There's divers, multiple divers on the scene. They're running 24-7. There's no visibility in that part of the Gulf of Mexico, so they're doing everything with lights. And they're having to cut through and work through this entire jacket rig that's sideways and upside down to search every passenger compartment, you know, every cubicle to make sure they can find the bodies. There's hope that there's big air pockets trapped in there. Yeah. It's slim odds, but you never yeah. know. The interesting thing to me is if you look at the picture of, of the rig, you can see that there's one leg down, starting yeah. to come down. So what happens with the jackup rig, they're not very seaworthy. They're like a big box you're trying to push through just see. Yeah. And when they hit rough weather, and they don't have a hull, when they hit rough weather, it can be very dangerous. And so what they do, though, if you have the legs up, so not in the water, the jackup rig travels much faster, much fuel efficient. Right. But if it gets really bad, you can lower the legs, which helps stabilize the jackup rig in rough water. And if it's shallow enough, you can jack it up. So it looks like, and it's not like they've called me and told me this, but it looks like to me that, that probably the crew was starting to drop those legs to stabilize the, and they just did it a little bit too late and, and they they lost control of the jackup rig. So, you know, our hearts and prayers go out to the families that are involved with this. We'll keep reporting on this. This is a tragedy for our industry, you know, prayers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And thanks to my cousin, Carla, for pointing this out to me because I've been, you know, under the weather and I had, ne- I had no idea that it even happened, so... All right, so the next article, historical oil glut amassed during the pandemic has almost gone.
0: Yes, yeah, so we talked about just a little bit about that before. Now, what's interesting about this is they don't talk about the fortunes that were made. So a lot of people that were that understand the industry that were very smart, when oil was in negative numbers, and trust me, people, they weren't paid to take the oil. That's a financial thing, but they got oil literally for pennies on the dollar. They bought as much of as they could, and they stored it all over the world. Knowing that the price would come back and knowing that it was easy money. Well, it's been easy money since oil hit sixty dollars a barrel. Right. All of that stock, if you look at it that way, if you look at all glut, all that's not all most of it's been gone, it's been sold. Even here's something interesting. You know, when Trump, President Trump's administration was still in office, they let us use, they let the oil and gas independent operators use the strategic oil reserve to store oil. So they right. basically let us borrow storage. And even that has been taken away now. And so this is really good. As I spoke about earlier about the whole ducks thing, this is really good as this oversupply disappears and it's disappearing rapidly you can see prices go up. You can see demand. At the same time, demand's also starting going up. So you can see more upstream activity, which is just great for everybody. You can see upstream activity on land. You can see the shell plays come back. You can see shallow water offshore and even starting some deep water offshore. I was talking to my buddy yesterday from one of the super majors that runs their deep water operations in the Gulf of Mexico, and they got 20 wells to drill. They had zero wells to drill. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's, it's, it's and it awesome. Also,
1: yeah, it also seems like the refineries are starting to pick up, too. So. Yeah,
0: the refiners are starting to pick back up because of the demand. Now, there's still this whole weird thing going on with China, which I think we have another article somewhere that we'll, we'll touch there. The other thing that is, it fascinates me, I don't see this in any of our news here. So for any of our listeners outside the U.S., I'd love to hear your input on this. The stuff's about to hit the fan in the Ukraine right now and in Russia. In yeah. US, and we see none of it on the news. None of it. Yeah. Right. And so if we have a conflict breakout there, you can see a price of oil spike literally within hours to $100 a barrel. And then you can see a lot of gas prices, gas futures go haywire because if there is a conflict there, there's a choke point for Europe's natural gas supply that comes from Russia. And like I said, I've seen none of this on on the news here in the U.S. So if anybody else sees it, I'd, I'd love to hear about that. But great news, the oversupply is disappearing it looks like OPEC and Russia and the United—I should say—OPEC and Russia are not increasing production, which is awesome. Once again, they can do that because the government controls production, unlike here in the U.S., where the government does not control production and individual operators or owners do. And that's why you got to be real careful if prices spike too big. All the independent owners here in the U.S. will increase production to capitalize in that market and they'll create an oversupply, which is what we don't want. But this is just more good news. This is more light in a tunnel. You know, we've been through hell. It's nice to see this coming back.
1: Yep. All right. So the next one is ExxonMobil pitches a hundred billion Gulf Coast CCS hub. <laughs> Carbon capture. I knew you would like this one. I,
0: <laughs> I was just having this conversation the other day. And since ExxonMobil's doing this in public, I'm going to talk about what I think is actually really going on. So, number one, this is actually ExxonMobil paying attention to public perception and shareholders and getting involved in capturing carbon and sequestering it. Number two, though, if you don't know this, is that one of the enhanced oil recovery or one of the ways you can do well stimulation is basically inject carbon dioxide into the reservoir. That carbon dioxide adds energy to the oil. That energy makes the oil less viscous, so it's thinner, so it's easier to get out of the ground, right? And so... Usually what happens is the operator, in this case, we'll use ExxonMobil, buys that carbon dioxide. I remember about 20 years ago, Kinder Morgan got in the carbon dioxide business. Kinder Morgan's a pipeline company. And they got in the carbon dioxide generation business. They built the infrastructure to move carbon dioxide around. And I couldn't figure it out. It's like, are they getting in soft drinks? Like, what the hell?
1: <laughs> it just made no sense to me.
0: <laughs> and then we learned that you use carbon dioxide to enhance all recovery. And, and I go, oh, that's genius. Because if Kinder Morgan gives the operator the carbon dioxide to recover more oil – What do you do with that oil? You got to move it. How do you move it in a Kinder Morgan pipeline? In a pipeline, right? right? Yep. I think this is even more genius. I think what Exxon Mobil is doing is they're gonna get the federal government and then the states to give some type of tax incentive or credit to help them build. See, you got it to help them build this carbon capture plant. And then guess what? When they need the carbon dioxide for well stimulation, they don't have to buy it anymore. No. The government bought it for them
1: very good i mean it's it's
0: genius right and even what they're doing with it so one of the best places to store carbon dioxide is depleted reservoir all reservoirs well guess what happens if you pump a whole bunch of carbon dioxide in a depleted reservoir you can go in production again
1: i mean interesting yeah and
0: all your your geophysicists petroleum engineers i know it's not that simple i know it's not but still the business idea behind this is solid and at the same time, you know, if Exxon is going to build a facility where they can take care of 50 million tons a year by 2030 and then double that by 2040, if carbon dioxide really is an issue, and everybody knows my view on that, well, now you have somebody that has enough scale, enough scope, and enough reach to actually deal with it. There's not too many companies in the world that are big enough to deal with something as enormous as CO2. Exxon's one of them. So big shout out to Exxon. I love y'all guys over there. Love this business idea if I am right about using it for enhanced oil recovery. And regardless, it doesn't matter. You know, Exxon's out here doing it. Now we just need the a federal government and the state governments to chip in and make this thing a reality. And then the other thing is how many jobs this will create?
1: Plenty. A lot. Yeah. Plenty. All right. So the next article is, should Louisiana be a sanctuary state for oil and gas? This bill would make it so.
0: Okay, Paige. Hmm. It's a guy from Caddo Parish.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everybody from Louisiana is laughing with Paige and I right now. Everybody that's not from Louisiana has no idea what we're talking about. Basically, Louisiana, if you're from Louisiana, there's like this market demarcation, line of demarcation. It's called Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I-10. And everything south of that is a different culture. and Everything north, that's a different culture. And we make fun of each other. We're all Louisiana, so we all love each other. Anyway, interesting approach. This lawmaker wants to make a, a law... That would make Louisiana a sanctuary city the same way that during our last administration you had cities making themselves sanctuary cities for illegal immigrants and stopping deportation. What they want to do here is basically the same idea and basically stop the federal government from from interfering in the oil and gas industry and then be a sanctuary or a haven. And I'm sure the idea eventually would be to attract more businesses and production and everything. The problem with that is, number one, I don't think it's legal. I don't think the state government can make a law to override the federal government. And even if it is legal, I don't think it's just like a vote. I think it'd be years of, of courts battles back and forth, back and forth. Honestly, I sort of like the idea because to me, it's like this lawmaker basically given. Our current administration, middle fingers, like, okay, if, if you're going to try to curtail our activities that drive revenue in our state, we're going to change the laws where you can't, whatever you say doesn't matter. So anyway, well, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I haven't, real, haven't read real deep into this, but it just doesn't sound realistic. I love the idea and I love the gumption of doing something like this. It's just a big middle finger. Yeah. Somebody should make some shirts, Louisiana, the next oil sanctuary state. I love it. Or um, some memes, whatever or you're some into. Memes, either way. What wow. we got next?
1: We got U.S. energy lobby wants federal lands banned ended. Yeah, it should. Whether it, will I thought it was sixty days. Was it sixty days? I thought it was. I don't remember. I don't know. It was. It was a temporary ban, though. Absolutely, it was, was a temporary yeah. ban. So they could evaluate everything.
0: Yeah, and I think we talked about this actually it was on the first Friday Q and A. So I'll give you a perfect example, real life example, is the same reservoirs are at the border of New Mexico and Texas so it's it's basically the same rock right and yet most of the New Mexico side is federal land and most of the Texas side is private land and all the money all the companies all the business all the jobs all the hotel rooms all the restaurants are moving over to Texas because of this i mean it's that's a real example you can drive up there and see it right now and so this is api which you're american on the board of, of. yeah well i'm on the board of the Houston chapter right this is american Control institute, institute going to our federal government and saying, look, this is not legit. This is hurting jobs. We need to get rid of this ban on drilling on federal lands. Now, you have different states come at this in different ways. Texas basically did an end run and said, if you want to do this, you have to go to court with us. Colorado actually kind of agreed with it, but put some different rules as far as when it would happen, what the tax revenue would look like. So honestly, the API doesn't carry enough weight in our current administration to move the needle at all. But we do need to end the ban. Do I think we'll end it? Yeah. Do I think we'll end it with caveats that aren't going to be good for our industry? Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. So you know, it's just what we have to deal with. And all this is going to do is add cost. I just went and filled up page, and gasoline prices here in the Houston, Texas area for the high octane gasoline I use mm-hmm. has went up by forty percent. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and that's here in California. They're back to five dollars a gallon. And for oh, all that, of this, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and for all our listeners in California, I'm sorry. I mean, that's just ridiculous to pay five dollars a gallon for, for fuel when honestly you could still make money and sell it for a buck and a half if it wasn't for all the taxes and regulation and everything else. You should be paying a buck fifty a gallon in California, not five bucks. But, but don't move
1: here. Don't move here. We have plenty we have plenty of Californians that have already moved over. Thank you. We're
0: out of houses, California. We have no <laughs> else place for you to live. Oklahoma though is looking
1: I was just about to say
0: that. No hate mail from Oklahoma. <laughs> All three of y'all.
1: Uh, all three.
0: Of you. <laughs> I would get crap for that watch.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a personal problem, Mark. All right. So, the last article of the episode the Philippines ready to claim oil resources with military. And this is the conflict you were talking about earlier. Yeah, it seems
0: like I've heard this somewhere before. Like a year ago on this on this show, actually, this huh. podcast. This is the whole China thing I've been talking about for over a year, where China's pushing its weight around, intimidating its smaller neighbors, and they're doing it for resources. I mean, fundamentally, they just need resources for their growing population. You know what I learned, Paige? And I never put this in perspective. I actually learned this from our ESG guys. If y'all haven't listened to Oil & Gas Elevate, incredible stuff. Eric and Sean is doing some incredible work. But I learned this from them, actually – At the API meeting where they did a lot of podcasts. So more or less, China is equal in size to the U.S. Geographic, land-wise, more or less. Okay. Okay. They have four times more people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when you think about it that way, it's like, I, it's unbelievable amount of people. And most of those people live a rural lifestyle, an aggregarian lifestyle. And so China needs resources, electricity, to bring their people out of that rural agrarian lifestyle. And they're doing a lot of stuff. So not just hydrocarbons, which we're talking about here, but also wind and solar. They're looking at hydrogen and ammonia. They're building refineries and petrochemical plants and ethylene crackers. They're building all the infrastructure that we've had. They're now doing it. Yeah, they have the people to do it. The people do it, the desire to do it, and the fact that the government controls everything actually... In this situation helps. But anyway, this is the Philippines, which has actually not taken as hard a stance against China as some of the other countries in the China Sea, basically saying, look, if you start drilling, we're going to start drilling. And if we both start drilling, it's our reserves and you owe us some money. So we're going to have issues here. It's really interesting. So China has 240 vessels, in this area of the China Sea. And China's, saying, China's saying they're fishing vessels.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Now,
0: the U.S. has an aircraft carrier.
1: <laughs> headed that way right now. And let me tell you, that aircraft carrier
0: is going to know instantly if you really are a fishing vessel or not. And if you're not a fishing vessel, be careful of what's going on. So do I think this is... The spark that's gonna start the fire in the China Sea, not at all. I think that's I think that spark's probably either come from Vietnam or, or Japan. But is this one of the countries in the China Sea going, this is ridiculous, China? You're invading our territory, you're taking our resources at one of our bu- people. Absolutely they're yes? They're bullying them. They're absolutely bullying them. And if we don't stand up to them, no unfortunately nobody else in the world will. This is another test for our current administration, just like what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. You know, is our current administration going to do what it needs to do here to keep <laughs> the peace? Maybe. It, yeah. So we'll keep an eye on this one as well. This is going to escalate. I've seen the Chinese do this over and over again. They have a long-term strategy around everything. They're not looking at this, at what's going to happen next month or next year. They're looking at this, what's going to happen next 10 or 20 years. And part of that is they need control of the Chinese sea. And they have other countries that aren't going to let them have it, many of which are U.S. allies. So keep an eye on this. All right. Oh, that's the last one, huh? Yeah. So... We got something really cool. I actually got pricing in my inbox. So, in the next month, we're going to do an invitation only event with IBM for everybody that's registered for the shirts, right? So, you don't have to win one, you just have to have registered for it. We're also going to invite the people that won the shirts. And if you show up with a shirt on, you get some really cool stuff. I have no idea what it is, but I've seen the budget and I know how much money they're going to spend <laughs> on you. And it's going to be nice. We're going to do drinks, dinner, we're going to pick up the tab, uh, we're going to see some of the cool stuff IBM is doing. And the whole point of telling you this is you need to register for the shirt. It's really simple. If you listen to this on mobile, just scroll up or left, depending on if it's Android or iOS, find the link for the giveaway, click on it, register. We give one shirt away a week. If you don't win, you can register every week. The shirt's really cool, and it actually is going to pay off to something in the next 30 days. So go grab your IBM shirt.
1: Ring count. All right. So U.S. has 439, so we're up seven. Canada has fifty six down two internationally, seven hundred and fifteen up fourteen.
0: So other than Canada, we're moving in the right direction.
1: Well, then it's not a bad down. It's just it's, it's, no, it's
0: not bad not bad numbers at all. So, you know, let's just keep watching these watching those rigs grow. I mean,
1: they're up twenty six from last year. Yeah, that's so. a, that's good. That's yeah. actually really good. And we're all down, so
0: <laughs> what's not all down is all the stuff we're doing on our socials, including LinkedIn. So go to LinkedIn, join everything has OGGN in it, the street team. So another big shout to Brian Mon. He is doing great work. That organization is coming together. We have leadership, we have roles and responsibilities, and we have tiers. So you can join and and give us an hour's worth of work a month. And we're super happy with that. You can join and do nothing. We're also super happy with that. <laughs> so go to LinkedIn, join the group. Ryan's a great guy for you to know. And we're doing some really impactful stuff there, not just for OGGN, the company, but for the charities and right. su- that we support. Exactly. And then go check out the new OGGN website, find out
1: anything and everything OGGN there. Including and quit our- sending me emails about what's t- the typos and stuff. Oh, you get emails about typos. And Every stuff? now and again I get one. <laughs> We're
0: so everybody out there, thank you for helping us proofread. Yeah. Uh, Paige and her team are very aware of what needs to be changed. Yes. Unfortunately, Paige is not like it was a few years ago when it was just us and you and I could go in and just change a website, right? Because there's only three of us. Right. Now we actually have a webmaster that doesn't work for us, that works for our marketing team. <laughs> exactly. And so we've grown. So things like getting typos fixed takes longer, but but we appreciate everybody proofreading. But Paige says she has it down pat. Speaking of proofreading and stuff that's down pat. This is ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. You know who really has it down pat? <laughs> who? Savannah with the news show.
1: Oh, yeah. Have you yeah, listened? Yeah. yeah, I have.
0: So good. So, people, if you want to find out what's going on with OGGN and also some unique news in a very quick listen, it's like less than 15 minutes once a week. I think it's like 10. 10 minutes. Go check out OGGN News. Big shout out to Spock Automation for sponsoring that show. You know, she's taking names and kicking butt, and it's awesome.
1: Yep. Very proud of her. All right. And
0: finally, if you want our monthly oil and gas events newsletter, which you should go sign up for this because live events are starting to happen. I'm
1: so excited, Mark.
0: I am too. We actually have some planning. We are planning some really big events around. Which I'm uh, also super yeah, excited Yeah, OTC, about. around Nape and stuff. So go sign up. It's free. We put all the oil and gas events in your, in your inbox once a month for absolutely nothing. By the way, if you have an oil and gas event, if you have something that you're doing that's oil and gas related and you want some attention to that, you want people to sign up, let us know. We'll put you in the newsletter for free. Yeah,
1: speaking uh, of, send that to Savannah and she'll get that added to the list because she's the one that does that newsletter.
0: Yep. Yeah. So make sure Savannah puts Savannah's email address in this show notes so people can let Savannah know about the <laughs> newsletter. And if not, just reach out to us and we'll make the connection. Also, the other thing that's happened is our speaking gigs are starting to pick back up in person. So if you want myself or any of our experts, experts to come to almost anything that you're doing and add some education or some fun, let us know. Be happy to share the details.
1: All I got is fun. So don't ask me to be an expert. Maybe I'm an expert at fun. I don't know. Anyway,
0: now we're gonna get a comment from Luthwick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know
0: that's what's gonna happen.
1: Well, at least it goes to your email, not mine.
0: <laughs> and then finally, first Friday Q and A. You know, we want your questions. Remember, the goal is not to stump Page not it's really help educate our audiences. So, anything you want to know, whether it's very tactical, like what's a blowout preventer, or some of the hard questions that you don't want to ask your coworkers, or whatever, just so let us know. You can stay anonymous if you want. Uh, we always have fun with that. Speaking of having fun, ready to get out of here?
1: Yes, I'm hungry.
0: (laughs) Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time.
1: And here's Savannah with Events on Deck.
2: Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the Events on Deck for April 2021. This month, we have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the Spring Pitch Party focused on clean tech. It'll be hosted at the Canon on April 6th. Next, we have our two online events. The University of Houston PES Career Fair on April 8th, and the CSPG GeoWomen eTalk on April 20th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information about any of the live streams or events we have coming up. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for April. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in.
0: Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.